what, what a joy to, to come down after all these years. And, and good for you for continuing to work here. God has done the work through you. We built that building right over there when I was here. Now this one here anyway. Uh, God is the one that gets the credit, of course. And, and God has instructed his people, uh, even commanded us to be a thankful people. Now, I know we know that. I know we know that. But we need to review it uh, daily, actually. Uh, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks, First Thessalonians will say. And then Colossians will say that we're to devote ourselves in prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And in this evil and perverse generation, it, in this increasingly secular and increasingly anti-Christian culture, I believe, we need to be reminded that the refusal to give thanks to God is, is really a serious thing and it's a moral issue. I'll just read this from Romans 1. Romans 1, uh, verse 20 will say, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, so that they are without excuse. But then it says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Isn't that amazing that that would be included in that, that kind of an ominous passage here written to the church in Rome? Yeah. They did not honor God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. And of course, that certainly depicts our, our world even today. And, and of course, we should never expect the world to give thanks to God, but I think we can expect uh, God's people to be thanks be to God kind of kind of people every day, all day long, all of our lives. So no matter what is going on in our country or whatever the issues and so on, we are still to be a grateful and a thankful people. And we were even to ex- express thanks even audibly every so often. The psalmist psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yeah, we need to be a thankful people. And in all of our thanksgiving, our primary duty and delight is to be ready and willing to give thanks to our great God. That's biblical. So 2 Corinthians, three times in this epistle, 2 Corinthians, we find this expression, thanks be to God. 2 Corinthians. And then you'll find that outline that I wrote earlier where I write, someone has said that 90% of a contented life is a thankful heart, but it is hard to be content and thankful when we are duped into believing that we deserve more than what we have and what we are. Our God is at work in all situations and in every circumstance each day, as he has been all of our days. Like the Apostle Paul, we need to, to learn to say, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph, even in our setbacks. So Second Corinthians chapter 2, so I'm going to start with verse 12. Second Corinthians 2.12, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest from my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. And that's when he writes, verse 14, But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ, and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Would you pause for a moment with me as, as we would pray for just a second? 
maybe more than a couple seconds, but but we do bow before you and we pause, our Father. We're so grateful that you are gracious to us. Thank you for your grace that is greater than our sin. Thank you that you are always worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. So we ask today, though, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, we, we know church. We've been in church. We know about church and attending and being here. But, Father, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond in obedience to your word, to keep us from trafficking through unlived truth, and give us hearts to be a thankful people, a gracious people, an authentic people who delight to put you on display every day. So we ask that you have your way this hour because of Jesus, your Son, and our Savior. Amen. Well, someone has said that a text without a context can be a pretext to make it say whatever we want it to say. So I want to give a little background here to the passages that we're going to look at today. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth in about 55 A.D., A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. And he wrote the first letter earlier in the year from Ephesus while on his third missionary journey. And then he founded the church in his second missionary journey about a year and a half earlier. And we find that in the, the book of Acts. Dr. Luke wrote that in Acts 18 and 19. But Paul wrote to defend his God-given apostleship to the Gentiles because he was facing vicious and nefarious false teachers and, and false apostles. We get a hint there, chapter 2, verse 17. But we are not like many peddling the word of God. He says, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. No letter of Paul's is, is, is more personal and more intimate than this letter. As a pastor, I know other pastors as well, that we find ourselves at home in Second Corinthians because Paul is so honest regarding the joys and the jolts of ministry, certainly. And he bears his soul more than any other epistle in Second Corinthians, and he describes life in real terms and, and in raw realities. And nine times he actually uses the word affliction. Nine times. And that word for affliction means to press. Uh, thus, the crush, crushing pressure like grapes in a wine press. And it's translated various ways. Sometimes it's translated hard-pressed or pressure or distress or hardship. And Paul certainly knew about affliction. Chapter 2, verse 4, earlier he says, For out of affliction and anguish of heart, he said, I wrote to you with many tears. Paul didn't live in isolation, nor was he cocooned from people and problems. Uh, he knew about people problems. <laughs> I'm sure he knew about problem people as well. You know, we live in a fallen world and so there are always going to be people problems, but, but it's the problem people that can kind of, uh, kind of upend us at times. Those who seem that no matter what you do, nothing seems, seems to be, seems to be right. And that's the way that is in this fallen world. And sometimes it creeps even into the church. Yeah. In fact, his problems, the things that he faced became so severe that, that it brought despair for him and his companions. We go back to chapter 1, and you notice in verse 7, And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of, suffer, of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. And then verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, 
beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. I got saved in 1970, brand new believer, come out, I was as pagan as anybody was pagan, and, and when I began to grow in Christ, read the Bible, and I remember reading that uh, 50 years ago, but I thought, wow, Apostle Paul, I kind of had him on a pedestal, so I thought, he despaired even of life, and, but over the years, I thought, well, yeah, it can be, life can be difficult for all of us, but, and for some, especially, had go through, go through ponderous, ponderous pressures, and I wonder even today, are you there? Even are you there regarding discouragement and despair? And sometimes I think if people have never, never despaired of life, it's because they haven't lived long enough or they don't live deeply enough. Uh, so, and then, but we might ask, why, why did God allow such pain and despair in Paul and his friends' lives? Well, the next verse answers it for us. Verse 9 says, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Here it is. In order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. God, who, he can, e- who can even raise the dead. Well, so that's the simple answer. Why a God, God allows such difficult things even drive uh, some to, to despair. Is that, well, just to look away from ourselves and to trust in Him. Yeah. Yes, uh, I believe that God, God does give us more than we can handle. Uh, that's a very popular term. I don't believe it's biblical, quite frankly. We hear it all the time. God won't give us more than we can handle. Yes, He does. Look at this. How do you explain this verse? Yeah, He allows things to happen in our lives so that we don't look to ourselves. And I'm afraid if we say, well, God won't give me more than I can handle, so I'm going to just you know, gear things up and I'm going to endure I'm gonna, so I can g- congratulate myself when I, when I get through it. No, no, we're simply to trust God to see that he brings some difficult things in lives and even the apostles, but so that we might look to him and not to ourselves that we see this here. It's a lifelong lesson for all of us, I believe. But the God of the Bible, of course, isn't sadistic. No, no, he doesn't allow affliction without purpose and without comfort. And so you go back, you go up further up in the chapter 1 there in verse 3, a very familiar passage. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, again, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As we read the book of Psalms, there's, it's not written out, but there's kind of a, a, a theme or, uh, that seems to be that, that life is hard. David and the psalmist went through hard things. Life is hard, but equally true is God is good. Yeah, Life is hard in a fallen world, but God is good. And if God permits suffering, he will also provide comfort and if afflictions are severe, then his comfort will be correspondingly abundant. I just read that verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in our abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And so, so let's not lose track of that, dear friends, this morning. And let's not lose heart. Certainly as we study these passages, we, don't, we don't, certainly don't need to deny our afflictions and sufferings. Paul certainly didn't. But neither should we overlook God's purposes and his comforts and his mercies. Uh, You're familiar with the book of Lamentations where it says there's a new batch of mercies every morning. 
And that's where we find the little expression, great is thy faithfulness. That's where the psalmist or the hymn writer rather perhaps got the title of that hymn. Great is thy faithfulness with the mercies day by day. And we need to remember this when disappointments and setbacks come. As I read earlier, Paul shares a disappointment, an anxious disappointment, a a restless episode. We're back in chapter 2 and again verse 12. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when a, por- and a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest from my spirit, not finding Titus my brother. And somehow not finding Titus there really kind of tipped him over uh, emotionally. And again, this experience may seem minor to us in retrospect, but it was major to Paul in reality because people were important to Paul. And he wrote to remind us that even when life seems like a defeat and a loss, the Christian is always victorious in Christ. And the unsettling skirmishes and confusions can never undo the triumph of the Almighty. So the next verse there again, chapter 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God. He couldn't find Titus, and it was upsetting to him evidently, And he said, but thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. Yeah. You know, this this context here, uh, the cultural context of what he's writing, I believe that that he's, he's, uh, it's a picture of the drama of a Roman general just coming back from from a victory of a military campaign. And as he came into town, there was a great parade and, and there was a grandiose celebration. And we need to realize that that in Corinth in those days, a, a sizable percentage of the population consisted of slaves. And Corinth was a center of slave trade. And so Paul borrows this imagery and applies it to our victor Christ Jesus and our victory in him. Verse 5. Verse 15, rather. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among, among those who are perishing. And, and we talked about the fragrance here. Well, the pagan people of that day would sacrifice and, and burn incense to their imaginary pagan gods who were credited for this victory of their general. And the key idea here is that the captives would be chained to the chariots as they came back into town. And those in the front were people destined to be set free to serve. And those in the back were people destined to perish, to be killed. That's why the imagery again, verse 15, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, verse 16, to the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And then he says, who is adequate for these things? And Paul's point here is that the believer has been taken captive by Jesus to be set free from sin, but not set free to serve himself, but to serve Jesus. Yes, we are free in Christ. We're free from the penalty of sin, and we're free from the power of sin if we walk in obedience to our great God. One day we'll be out of this world, we'll be free from the presence of sin as well, in glory with him. But the whole point is that we've been set free by Jesus to be serving him all of our days. And the believer is always triumphant in Christ. God is always leading us in his triumph in in Christ. In spite of disappointments. In spite of setbacks. 
Our sins are forgiven. We're bound for heaven. And the best is yet to come. Every moment as, as we are in Christ, positionally in Christ. And so this is how the Christian absorbs afflictions and trials and troubles and disappointments and, and distresses and, and, yes, even disasters. We are still triumphant in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16, again, he says, Who is adequate for these things? Yeah, that's a good question. But then he answers it down in chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Yeah, yeah no bootstrap theology here. Uh, no God helps those who help themselves theology here. Our adequacy is in God, and he uses affliction to, to teach us not to trust in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead. So we give thanks to God. We don't just congratulate ourselves for persevering. You see, giving thanks to God is an expression of faith. Giving thanks to God is an expression of, of trust in Him. Giving thanks is an act of worship, certainly. And it reminds us that there is always a bigger picture. Always a bigger picture. And, and when nothing seems to be happening with God, something is happening. <laughs> and at times I can't help but say, Lord, where are you? Why are you allowing this? What's going on? Well, I remind myself when nothing is happening, <laughs> something is happening. God is at work and he's always greater than our griefs and he's always bigger than our beefs as well. And we don't want to get locked into just our griefs and our beefs. We look unto God and giving thanks to him Again, it's not only a duty and a delight, it's a doxology. It's an act of worship, certainly. And John Trapp was a, a fellow that, that said, Heart, hearty thanks must be given to God, such as comes not from the roof of the mouth, but from the root of the heart. End quote. And then I mentioned earlier in the first service as well about the Greek, the Greek scholar Anonymous. He's most a popular guy. He must have read a lot of things. A lot of quotes from Anonymous. And it sounds like a Greek, a Greek scholar to me. Anyway, Anonymous said this, that thanksgiving is the vibration of the soul's heartstrings under the soft touch of God's benevolence. End quote. And so giving thanks to God acknowledges that he reigns supreme, that he works all things after the counsel of his will, as Ephesians 1 says. And then he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28, we know that verse. But sometimes we forget about verse 29. The purpose that he works for good is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So it's not only a duty, it should be a delight of our hearts to give thanks to God for all things, especially for his mercy day by day, his grace and his triumph over sin, death, and the grave. And like the Apostle Paul, we need to learn to say, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ, even as we face setbacks and disappointments and, and confusions. But we also need to learn to say, secondly, thanks be to God who lends his people tender care for one another. You want to go to chapter 8 now, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 16. We find Paul writing, that same expression again, but thanks be to God, at chapter 8, verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. 
Here again, Paul mentions Titus again. They must have had a wonderful, meaningful ministry together in the midst of, of much, much opposition. And back in chapter 7, we look, we look at, at, uh, at verse 4. For great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all affliction. Paul said, I wish I could say that every day. For even when we came to Macedonia, our, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. Then verse 6. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. Are people comforted when we come into their presence? <laughs> or are they comforted when we leave? That's something to ponder. <laughs> I hope no one's comforted when I leave. And I hope people are comforted when I, when I interact with them. That's certainly a goal for us to have. Yeah. Again, this is the second time that Paul has written, thanks be to God, not only for always leading them in triumph in Christ, but also for lending a tender heart to Titus. Chapter 8, verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Just talking about his concern for these dear folks. And I just use the expression, lending a tender heart to Titus. It was even the, the bard, the bard uh, William Shakespeare, who said, O Lord, that lends me life, lend me a heart replete with thankfulness. End quote. Yeah, thanks be to God for putting the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. So Paul credits God for making Titus a tender heart, for making Titus a tender-hearted man. God put earnest concern for them uh, in the heart of Titus. Verse 23 at the end says, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the church to the glory of Christ. And, and again, with this description of these dear workers and of Titus, would that describe us today? Are we a tender-hearted pe- people? Desire to be involved in people's lives? And... and uh, uh, are we, are we uh, those people that, that, again, as we would interact with people, they would sense that we desire to encourage and comfort them, tell them the truth, certainly. I'm not saying that we're, we're to be phony people, but desire to encourage. Yeah. Or, or are we Hector the Corrector, <laughs> where, we, where we think we need to kind of point out everybody's uh, problems and show where everything is, is wrong. That's, we can e- easily go there, I'm afraid. Have you noticed it's easier to confess other people's sins than our own? Yeah, and observe them more than we see them in ourselves. We are to give thanks to God for always leading us in His triumph in Christ, but also for lending us tender care for His people. God not only comforts us in our afflictions so that we might be comforted, but that we also might be comforters. See, it's not wrong to want to be comforted by God. He wants to comfort us. It's not wrong to be wanting to be comforted by others. But sometimes I think all we want is to be comforted. We're not that very much interested in being a comforter. And I tell you what, I want to be both. I want to be willing and, and desire to be comforted, but also then to be comforters. Yeah, look at chapter chapter 1, verse verse 3 again. We read that earlier, but... but uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, who Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. 
with the comfort, the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we need to experience God's comfort and we need to express God's comfort as well. And if we're not vigilant, dear friends, we can buy into the, to the self-absorbed, self-esteem philosophy of this day instead of self-discipline, self-denial, self-sacrifice of which the Bible teaches. So like the Apostle Paul, we need to learn to say, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ, even as we face setbacks and difficulties. Secondly, thanks be to God who always lends his people tender care for one another. And then finally, we need to learn to say, point three, thanks be to God who lavishes his people with the most exquisite gift, his only begotten Son. This is chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And then that's when he breaks out, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yeah. Paul has been instructed regarding giving and he was taking up a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. We find that in the first, the first uh, epistle. And now he urges them to follow through on making sure they give what they said they would give. And again, Paul, as he ends here with his doxology, he doesn't say what or who the gift is, but there's no doubt in my mind that in verse 15 that he's describing the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As per John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he what? Well, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish would have everlasting life. We don't use that word begotten that much these days, but that word for begotten is, is the Greek word monogenes. Mono means one. Gen, genes, gen, we get the word genus from that. Kind. So he's one of a kind. And of course he is, isn't he? God the Son, one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul has already mentioned the, the, the gifts, the way God's gifts us through Christ and, and his and his work. Chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Yeah, what a contrast here as we think about Jesus Christ and that he is the unspeakable, indescribable gift. And the words seem to fail Paul when trying to describe the magnitude and the sublimity of, of this gift. And a great uh, Greek scholar, A.T. Robertson, makes reference to the fact that, that when he looked at the even original language, it's kind of a long, tangled sentence. And then he said he seemed to he grope for words, wasn't sure. So he coined the word here. Uh, Paul did. Po- coined the word, and it's translated as his indescribable gift. And, and it just seems that Paul erupts in this this doxology regarding the epitome of, of the sacrificial giving of the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God for his, his indescribable gift, a gift too wonderful for words. 
So for us today, I would ask, are, are we in awe? Are we continuing to be in awe of how great and how gracious our Savior is? Are, are we a thanks be to God kind of people? A people quick to give thanks to our great and gracious God? And of course, we know that giving thanks is just not automatic. We don't push any buttons to, to cause us to erupt in thanksgiving. No, it's not automatic. It's a daily choice that we make, an hourly choice that we make. It's a matter of the will or it's a matter of the won't. We either will or we won't. We either do or we don't. And only we can answer about ourselves today. Yeah, God always leads us in his triumph in Christ, even in our setbacks. God always lends us tender care for one another, and God always lavishes us with the most exquisite an expensive gift of his son, the sacrifice on the cross, yes, his, his death and resurrection that is, that is past tense, but also he rose on high and he lives to make intercession for us, the scripture says. So the work of Christ and the person of Christ is not just past tense. No, he lives to make intercession for us and it says that we are to look for and long for his appearing. Well, what a privilege to be bought out of the marketplace of sin with such a high price tag, the blood of his own son. Earlier in Second Corinthians, it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be the sin sacrifice, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I would ask, is, is he your Savior today? I think I already mentioned I was 24 years old before I really understood the gospel, before God gave me ears to hear the gospel, my, my need for the Savior. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you belong to him? Have you repented from sin and realized that you can't earn your way to heaven? Probably the most grievous sin that we can commit is that we think we can earn our own way. We can go around the cross and we can impress God by our good works. Well, even our best works or best intentions will only land us in hell. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Only Jesus can wash away sin. And I trust you will yield to him today if you've never done that in days past. And and then uh, there's one other use of Paul. He uses his phrase, thanks be to God. I wish I had more time to develop it, but I won't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, and and uh, Paul here is discussing the great doctrine of the resurrection. That's uh, the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians describes and, and, and expounds the doctrine of resurrection, not only of our bodies, but of course the Lord Jesus himself, his body, his, his re- resurrection as well. And then, and then as he describes, as Paul describes in verse 57, verse Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, there's that expression again, who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course that victory is the victory over sin, Victory over the penalty of sin is victory over death and the grave. And then when he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, then he ends that, that verse that most of us have memorized and we know it well, but we need to review it today. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Here we go. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we? Are we? What a nudge for us today, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. If we belong to Jesus, he always leads us in his triumph, and we ought not lose heart.
And let me leave you with this. Almost 20 years ago, I experienced what I found out was transient global amnesia. I lost my short-term memory for a short time. Transient global amnesia is just a losing of the, of the short-term memory for 15, 20 uh, hours or so. It's a little bit more than that. And when the doctors, uh, emergency doctors in Portland, where I was at the time, uh, decided it wasn't a stroke, that's what they called it, and, and other people had come. They had two cases down there a month, they said, in this hospital in Portland. Transient global amnesia, where I just kind of lost track of who I was or where I was. Anyway, so... So after 10 hours, the, 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 the fog began to clear and, and, and our daughters came down from Seattle and they were concerned about dear old dad and they were laughing at me and they're kind of mocking me. I thought, what's going on? Why are you laughing at me? And they said, well, in the, in the hospital, you, you, you would say, you would say, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing here? What's going on? What happened? And, and the emergency doc would explain what it was and then I would say, well, one thing I know for sure, my sins are forgiven. I'm bound for heaven. The best is yet to come. And then I would say, where am I? What am I doing here? Anyway. <laughs> and he would explain it again. And then I'd say, well, one thing I know for sure. My sins are forgiven. I'm bound for heaven. The best is yet to come. Anyway, I don't share that hopefully this morning to boast about me. I am just very grateful that when there was so much fog, mental fog, deep down, that was for sure. And God had done that in my life. I was dead in trespasses and sins but he made me alive, you see. I was a new creature in Christ. And what a comfort it is. And all glory goes to him, certainly. And, and shouldn't we all be a thanks-be-to-God kind of people if we have that kind of assurance of eternal life? Because God always leads his people in his triumph in Christ, even in our setbacks, even in our fog, even in our confusions and disappointments. So let's not lose track of that and let's not lose heart today. Would you bow one more time? Gracious Father, we know that this hour will never be repeated and you desire to do a work in our lives, an eternal work in each of us as we gather. And we praise you, God, the uncreated one, the author of salvation, who gave your Son to die for sins, the just for the just, unjust, that we might, that you might reconcile us to you. And so, we love you today because you first loved us. We worship you, we praise you this day, every day, looking for and longing for the Lord Jesus, the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may it's gonna be, maybe it's gonna be today, Father. We delight in you and we delight in him. And thank you for your grace and mercy. And we come in his name. Amen.